0: Hello, my name is Gary and this is episode 26 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On our podcast today I'll be talking about batteries. It's just me today, Simon's off preparing for Christmas, interviewing someone for an upcoming episode and drooling over the Tesla Cybertruck order replaced last week, so we'll talk about something a little bit more esoteric but quite important today. Ever since EVs started to be manufactured in largest numbers, the big complaint that many people had was that they're limited in their range by the batteries. They don't go very far. They believed technology hadn't advanced enough and cars with a range of 60, 70 or 80 miles just weren't enough for people to accept mass adoption of EVs. However, the sales figures from Nissan and Kia for the Leaf and Soul in the early years put paid to that particular myth. People were buying EVs with short-range batteries. But it is true to say that most people with a small range EV would like a longer range. I can do 100 to 130 miles on a charge depending on the temperature outside and even though I rarely if ever have range anxiety or charger anxieties it should really be called it would be nice to be able to do a bit more mileage on a single charge. However this is something of a two-edged sword. My old Honda Civic did around mm, 300 miles on a tank of fuel This was considered an acceptable range for an internal combustion engine car. Therefore, that seemed to be the ideal number for EVs, 300 miles of range. Many people stepped back from that a little and said that 200 miles would be the tipping point, but 300 miles would be the point at which EVs and ICE vehicles were comparable. Although we all know that there are many ICE models out there that struggle to do 200 miles on a tank due to small fuel tanks, large engines and inefficient operation. I'm looking at you, Ford Mustang V8. But the fact is that bigger batteries are going to take longer to charge than smaller batteries, regardless of how fast the charger can pump the electrons in. So is it going to be better for a car to have a smaller battery, i.e. with a smaller range, say 130 miles, but be able to charge up in 40% of the time, but having a battery that is bigger and will take you farther, but will take longer to charge? Beyond Nyland... Tesla Bjorn, when he did his Guinness World Record breaking 24-hour race to cover the longest distance in an EV, he used a Tesla Model 3, but he only charged it to 67% maximum each time. This was the optimal point at which the distance travelled was enough to get good coverage, but the charging time at each stop was the quickest. This meant that in reality, even though he was in a car with a big enough battery to do over 300 miles, he was only using less than two-thirds of it to make the drive. Also in an earlier test he ran a Kia Soul against an I-Pace over a thousand kilometers and the Soul beat the larger battery at I-Pace because it charged quicker and he had a smaller battery. The higher number of quicker charge stops for the Soul was offset by the amount of time spent charging the large battery. Over the accumulated time it was quicker with the Soul. The I-Pace's low efficiency didn't help with that race either though. The calculation really comes down to how long you'll need to spend charging at a given charge speed. A hundred kilowatt-hour battery could take 90 minutes to charge and take you 300 miles, although not in an eye pace, obviously, whereas my 30 kilowatt-hour sole can do about 80 miles on a 20 22 minute charge from about 15 or 20 percent. Do the sums and my soul goes 320 miles after 80 or 90 minutes of charging on a 50 kilowatt charger. That's more than the 100 kilowatt-hour battery in the same time. But do people really want to be doing little charging stops regularly rather than bigger stops less frequently? Well, there are advantages and disadvantages either way. More frequent stops make for a better journey. You're more relaxed, you're more refreshed, you have time for a stretch, and it's a less stressful process. More frequent stops, however, do increase your overall runtime. If you're going less than the range of a full battery, it makes no sense to stop and charge for no reason other than to charge. Why have a 200 mile battery but stop every 100 miles of charge? Shorter runs and more frequent charging stops also have benefits for vehicles without thermal management. The shorter runs keep the battery temperature down and allow for faster charging without hitting rapid gate too much. As this happened in the Nissan Leaf and the e-Golf, we'll talk about rapid gate in a short while. And longer runs allow you time to take your stops at the point where they make more sense for you. It's inconvenient stopping for coffee three times in the morning when you really only want to stop once for lunch. But the problem with some such as these comes when you factor in maximum charging speeds. Take the i3, for example. Fabulous car does around 130-140 miles on a charge. Simon and I did a 1,000 kilometres in his in one day with no charging issues. But it will only charge at a maximum of 50 kilowatts. This means that even with the Ionity BP Chargemaster fast chargers, there's very little advantage over a normal 50 kw charger, such as the Nginia model. Most of the current early stock of EVs top out at 50 kw The Kona, e-Nero, Soul and Ionic don't, but the Leafs, Zoes and e-Golfs are restricted from that point of view. Despite all this, we see that a lot of the newer EVs coming out in the upcoming years are still relatively small range. The Honda e has a projected range of 125 miles, the MG ZS EV does 140, the Peugeot e2008 does 185, the VW 3 and the DS3 hatchback do 170. None of these come close to the 300 miles that people seem to think is required for them to go across to an EV, and yet these cars have had some impressive pre-orders, presumably from members of the public, not just members of the EV fraternity. It implies that smaller batteries with shorter, faster charge stops starts to become preferred, at least in an urban setting where these cars will shine. But with 150kW, kilowatt, 200kW kilowatt, and 350kW charging, the whole size versus speed equation starts to get tipped more in favour of speed. Remember, however, that not every car can charge at the highest speed. Even Tesla's fabled Model 3 will only charge at 100kW on the 200kW supercharger, unless you've plumped for the longer-range version. Let's talk about why this is an issue, and why we can't have batteries that just suck up power really, really quickly and fill in a few minutes, like you do at a petrol station. Battery charging speed is dictated by a number of things. Chief amongst them is the ability to manage the heat being generated and ensuring the batteries stay in tip-top condition. The reason your phone battery only lasts 18 months before you end up replacing it, or the phone, is for this reason. And this is why, with very few exceptions, EV batteries have a charge curve. And we've talked about charge curves before on this show when we were discussing charging in episode 7. Basically, it means that even the fastest charging EVs in existence, the Porsche Taycan, won't charge at its maximum speed for the full time. An EV will determine the charge speed based on a number of factors. How warm the battery is and how low the state of charge is amongst them. If the conditions are right you'll get the maximum charge speed. However this will only continue until it reaches a predetermined state of charge in the battery. At that point the BMS, the battery management system, will start to throttle the charge speed. It might start to gradually reduce it, dropping it bit by bit, or it might step it down to a lower level where it will continue to charge. If the throttling is a step change this will occur occur again later until the battery has dropped down to a charge speed at around 80% state of charge that it can handle continuously without any further throttling. Above 80% fast charging is generally discouraged for this reason, primarily because it isn't good for the battery but secondarily because the BMS will throttle the charge speed to such an extent that charging on an AC charger will be just as fast. Remember, a battery that will charge at 350 kilowatts will only charge at that speed if all the conditions are right and it will only stay charging at that speed for a relatively short part of the charge. As the state of charge increases, the charge speed will drop. If you go back to our charging episode number 7, we talked about the stadium analogy when it comes to charging. In this case, an ultra-high-speed charger is one where we have lots of security guards processing lots of customers through the turnstiles at once. But at a certain point, the ability of the attendees to find seats in a timely fashion means they have to slow down the throughput. It's the same with batteries. An EV with a specific battery that doesn't have thermal management built in will need the battery management system to limit the charging speed to keep the temperature as low as possible. This is what led to the infamous rapid gate situation with the 40kWh Nissan LEAF. There's no thermal management, so after a couple of rapid charges and a few miles at motorway speeds, the battery started to cook. The BMS kicked in at the next charge and throttled the charging speed to mitigate the effects of the heat and extend the battery life. So how does the speed of the charger affect things? Well, regardless of what size the battery is, there still needs to be a range of chargers available for EVs. If all the chargers out there were 150 kilowatts or higher, the older vehicles which can't take advantage of that charge speed will take longer to charge, and therefore block the charger for longer, than a car with a higher charge speed capability. Conversely, if all the chargers were 50 kilowatt-hour chargers, the smaller battery vehicles, such as my Soul and the early Leafs, would be waiting, while a larger battery vehicle, such as the Mercedes EQC, the Hyundai Kona, or the Audi e-tron, hog a charger for 60, 80, 90 minutes while they charge. Having different models of charge are capable of providing different charge speeds will keep everybody happy. But what about Tesla? I hear you cry. They supercharge at really high speeds all the time. Actually, no, they don't. This is one of those situations where Tesla suffer from exactly the same problem as other EVs. They just manage it slightly better. Tesla use a specific type of battery in their packs, but they're still limited to the charging speed that they can take the BMS in a Tesla is slightly more sophisticated than it is in a lot of other EVs. In the Model 3 especially, the BMS will actually preheat the battery to a certain temperature to ensure optimum charging conditions if it knows you're heading for a supercharger. Once that's achieved, the thermal management will keep the battery at that temperature long enough to receive the fastest charge it can over the longest time it can. Tesla still, however, have a charge curve. The maximum speed is achieved generally at a lower state of charge with the correct battery temperature. It will stay like that as long as possible, but it will start to throttle as the state of charge increases. If the circumstances are not ideal, the charge rate will be lower. In fact, I was in a Model X the other day at a supercharger, and we were getting 27kW charge speed because we plugged in at 75% with an unheated battery, and we'd only driven 5 miles to get there. Very low indeed but not unexpected. I mean, we spoke to a fellow Model X driver who'd driven his for three years and he said, yeah, that's about right for these conditions. So let's summarise. Bigger battery and fewer stops or smaller battery with more stops? Well, there's no right or wrong answer. If you're a dyed-in-the-wool EV fan who understands charge curves and appreciates EVs for what they are, what they offer and how they work, it's very easy to accept a smaller battery and have more charging stops. But if you're a convert from internal combustion engine vehicles and you're still steeped in the old run it until it's almost empty then stop at the nearest petrol station for a two minute refuel school of thought, then a larger battery that recharges less frequently is probably more your holy grail. But neither of these is the right answer. It's horses for courses. If you live, for example, in Southeast England where the charging infrastructure is slightly better, and you have a home charger, then a smaller battery that's probably going to be a no-brainer. But if you're in the charging wilderness of Wales or Devon and Cornwall or the Cotswolds or Norfolk, then a larger battery will give you the confidence you need when the nearest charger could be some distance away. So let's wrap up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing that I've come across that I can share with you, our listeners. How about this? James May bought a Model S and a Toyota Mirai hydrogen fuel cell car. We all know... James May from uh, that bastion of journalistic integrity when it comes to vehicles, Top Gear and the erstwhile Amazon Grand Tour. And him and his compatriots were rather negative towards electric vehicles. They did that uh, infamous program, shall we say, where they took a couple of uh, two or three EVs out to, I forget where it was, but they ended up for seven hours in Salisbury, doing etchings of gravestones while they waited for their cars to charge on a three-pin plug and an extension cable because they hadn't done any planning etc etc so it was very very surprising to see that in his quite extensive garage james may has recently purchased a brand new model s and followed it up a couple of days later with a toyota mirai i say purchased he's probably leased doesn't make any difference as he puts it himself he's kind of seen the light a little bit when it comes to things like this but he's basically doing this from a journalistic point of view can he live with an electric vehicle can he live with a fuel cell vehicle what's the difference compare and contrast he has a couple of unveiling videos where he talks about this and what he hopes to achieve and we're going to link to those in the show notes so have a look through those it's quite an interesting few minutes and that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, I'm The Real Gary C on Twitter, Simon is The EV Side on Twitter and YouTube, or you can use our own EV Musings Twitter account at MusingsEV. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it makes us feel loved and it helps get the word out to others. Thanks for listening. Bye.